Good morning. Uh, welcome to Element Church and welcome uh, to our first week in a new series called Legacy as we are going to spend the next several weeks walking through the letter of 2 Timothy. Now I think all of us want to leave a legacy in our lives. All of us want to leave a legacy for our children. Uh, we want to set our kids up so that they're starting off in life or um, what we're leaving behind when we're gone uh, sets them up to have a life uh, that's even better than the one we have. You know, and uh, maybe when you think about leaving a legacy, part of it is leaving uh, an inheritance. Maybe that's what you think of. As a matter of fact, the word legacy, originally, it just meant um, money or property that you left to someone in a will. Now, that's not how we always use the word legacy today. Oftentimes, when we talk about a legacy, we're meaning more than just money or property. We're thinking about um, even immaterial things. We use it metaphorically to talk about all the good that we want to leave behind for those when we're gone. And 2 Timothy, in many ways, is Paul leaving a legacy after he's gonna be gone. And so let me give you a little background to 2 Timothy before we actually start opening up and looking at the letter. Um, 2 Timothy, as far as we know, is Paul's last letter that he ever writes before he dies. Um, now, we don't know exactly how much time has passed between 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, but there are some things we do know. Paul is a prisoner at the time of writing. Uh, he is actually in prison in Rome. And as we read through the letter, we start to get more details about Paul and what he's going through. And we realize that Paul uh, is going in the middle of his trial and it is not going well. As a matter of fact, Paul believes that uh, his trial will be ending soon and it's probably going to result in his execution. And so knowing that his life and his ministry is probably coming to a close, this is the last letter he will ever write um, in his life. And so we know that 2 Timothy obviously follows 1 Timothy, and we partner 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy with another letter that Paul wrote um, to a guy named Titus, and we kind of package these together and we call them the pastoral letters. Because in many ways, we see the heart of Paul as a pastor. Most of the letters we have from Paul, he's writing to an entire church. And these letters are designed so that um, on a Sunday morning when the church would gather, um, the pastor or one of the leaders of the church would stand up and read the entire letter out loud to the whole church. Well, actually, these letters, these pastoral letters, are also designed to be read out loud. But Paul writes them to one specific individual. Um, we know they're designed to be read out loud because Paul talks to and about other people um, and situations uh, in his letter. But he's writing so that uh, it's directed towards Timothy. Now, Timothy is a young pastor in the city of Ephesus. So we actually learn about the, the starting of the church in Ephesus in Acts chapters 18 and 19. Paul walks into town and there he meets some uh, disciples of John the Baptist. They had known John the Baptist. They had followed John the Baptist. They had been huge fans of John the Baptist. For, but for whatever reason, they had gone back home to Ephesus uh, 
without actually learning about and following Jesus. They were just fans and followers of John the Baptist. And so Paul shows up and, and he starts talking to them and he realizes that there's a lot of similarities between Christians and this group of people, but that these people kept talking about John the Baptist, not about Jesus. And so Paul begins to share the gospel with them and tell them like, John the Baptist was preparing the way for Jesus. This is what he was setting everyone up for. And so these people became believers and followers of Jesus and there the church began. Paul spent almost three years in the city of Ephesus leading and pastoring the church. And then he leaves uh, to go on to other cities to do new works and to lead and start other churches. And he leaves Timothy behind to be the pastor. Timothy's a young guy, somewhat inexperienced, but Paul has entrusted the leadership of the church to him and then goes back and as Paul continues on, he writes letters to Timothy and he writes another one to a young pastor named Titus who's in another location, just trying to encourage them. The whole letter of Timothy, it's pretty short, it's four chapters, um, and it's pretty easy to divide it up. The first half, Paul is just trying to encourage this young pastor um, to stay faithful, to stay bold and courageous, to not allow his youth um, to, to distract or discourage him. He's writing to encourage the pastor, Timothy. And then the second half of the letter, Paul is just trying to help him know what to do in certain situations. Timothy's going through some rough stuff. There's some challenges he's facing in the community and there are challenges he's facing in the local church. And so Paul is just trying to tell him, hey, here's how you should handle these issues. And then Paul closes out the letter with some of the most personal, intimate details that we see uh, Paul ever express in any of his letters. And we'll get there as we get to the end of our study. But Paul even starts telling Timothy like, hey, I'm really cold. Can you bring me a coat? And when you come and bring me a coat, would you mind grabbing my scrolls and my parchments and, and all those writings that I have? I'd really like to have those with me. Um, and he's just asking for some personal comforts uh, to sort of, bring some relief and comfort to Paul in his final days. And so Paul knowing that his life is nearing an end, that his ministry is coming to a close, he pins this final letter to sort of establish the end of his legacy that he wants to leave behind. Uh, the legacy that he's passing on to Timothy, who's gonna carry on Paul's ministry and mission when he's gone. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look together at the beginning of 2 Timothy. And so if you want, you can follow along with us in the Bible app. Uh, you know, earlier Mary mentioned things like uh, signing up to, to be a part of the lunch after church next week for those who are volunteering uh, for VBS or just those who would be interested in more information about volunteering at VBS. Um, if you want to sign up for that lunch, if you want to sign up for, uh, sign your kids up for Vacation Bible School, if you want to sign up to be a part of Child Dedication on Mother's Day, all of that you can do through the Bible app by scanning this QR code. And so we're actually only going to look at the first five verses today. Um, we're not going to get too deep into the letter just yet, but we're going to set the foundation 
um, for our study in 2 Timothy. And so here are all the verses we're going to look at today. Um, It's actually uh, not going to take us too long today. We're going to make a few observations and let it set the stage for the rest of this study. And so here's how Paul begins his final letter, the final words that he's ever going to share before he's executed. And he says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and, Jesus, and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells with you. And so that's all we're going to cover today, but here's what I wanna do. I wanna make three observations about the opening of Paul's letter that even in this just generic opening, it's pretty traditional for a first century letter of uh, this generic opening. Uh, there are three lessons that we can take from this. And here's the first. True faith grows in trials. True faith grows in trials. Look at how Paul opens his letter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Now here's why this is significant. Because Paul knows he's about to die. You know, we learn a lot about an individual in their final words. Some of you have uh, been around a friend or a loved one who had the opportunity to share um, some final parting thoughts before they died. And that is not always an opportunity afforded to everyone to know when their death is coming. But for some, uh, as it approaches and when they know it's approaching, they have the opportunity to share some final thoughts. Paul knows his death is coming. And in this moment, he's thinking of the life that Jesus promises. Paul's response here is a picture or a sign of true faith. Knowing death was coming, Paul turned his attention to the life God offers. To be honest, this is the opposite of how most people respond in the face of difficulties and trials. Most people love to talk things of God. They love to talk good about God. They love to give glory to God when things are great. I mean, the classic example is anytime someone wins an award on TV, right? They just get up and generically thank their producers and their family and God, right? We, we love to talk about God. We love to give God praise when life is good, But when life turns bad, when our hope for the the future has been stripped from us, when we feel like we're in prison and held down by chains, 
Now for us, that's metaphorical. For Paul in this moment, it was literal. But most people, when life gets tough, they get angry at God. They accuse God of being blind as though he's ignoring their suffering. Or they accuse God of being deaf, that, they're, that God is ignoring their prayers for help. Or they accuse God of being dead. Well, God must not really exist then if I'm going through this. When life gets difficult, so many people turn angry and turn to accusing God. But genuine faith grows in trials. When life gets difficult, rather than push away from God, we press into God. When life gets difficult, genuine, real, saving faith doesn't leave us cursing God, it leaves us worshiping God. And knowing what was coming, knowing that his death was imminent, rather than being angry at God, he begins turning and looking to the promises of God, to the life that Jesus offers. Look what he says in verse 10, which is not a, a main part of our focus today. We'll talk about verse 10 more next week, but we're talking still about this same idea. He, he references our savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. True faith grows in trials. That's what genuine faith looks like, is that when life gets hard, rather than run from God or push away from God, we press in and we cling to God and his promises. Here's a second lesson for us to take in this opening to Paul's letter. Relationships matter. If you've had the opportunity to spend some time with someone in their final days, um, as both a blessing and a challenge, that's a unique part of being a pastor, is that you get invited to spend uh, time with people in the highest of highs and in the lowest of lows. And whether you've ever personally experienced it or not, we've all heard stories that when people are on the deathbed, what they talk about, what regrets they have, what they wish they could go back and change, it's never designed around or centered around, I wish I had spent more time at work. I wish I had spent more money buying toys. I wish I had devoted my life to these kinds of material possessions. What do people always talk about? I wish I had spent more time with the people I love. Or if they did devote their life to spending time with people they love, they spend their last days reflecting on memories. Memories involving other people. Relationships matter. And oftentimes that's, oftentimes that's highlighted in someone's final days. Look what Paul says in his opening refers to Timothy as my beloved child, which we know Timothy was not his biological son, but uh, this is something that 
Paul loves to do to show affection to people that he's close to. He calls Timothy his child multiple times in this letter and multiple times in the first letter he writes to Timothy. He refers to uh, Titus as his beloved child multiple times in the letter he writes to that individual. Paul also refers to his church as oftentimes as his children. and even talks about the process of starting new churches as like going through the process of giving, uh, going through childbirth because he feels such a love and connection to these people. He tells Timothy how much he remembers him constantly in his prayers. He thinks about Timothy's tears not actually told what these tears were about. Um, but based on the other references that Paul makes in his letters, it's, it's probably tears that Timothy shed when Paul was arrested. And Paul talks about longing to see Timothy so that he can be filled with joy. It's the last thing Paul asks at the end of his letter is that Timothy would come to him and spend some time with him and bring him some things that would uh, aid in his comfort in those final days. I think we've learned this lesson the last few years as well. Think about what life was like two years ago from today. Right, two years ago from today, we would have all been worshiping together online. Most of you were working remotely Uh, All of our kids were going to school remotely. And I think initially, for some, not for all, because for some, the beginning of the pandemic was traumatic in many ways. But for some, there was some level of almost relief that life slowed down for a few minutes. All the obligations that we had in life, most of them just went away. I remember when the pandemic first started and we were all stuck at home, um, we just started doing family walks uh, outside. Um, Matter of fact, one of the things, we bought all of our kids, uh, Easter 2020, a new bicycle. They already needed bikes, but we were like, these kids are cooped up and we need them out of the house and they need sunshine. And so we bought them all new bikes uh, for Easter uh, for multiple reasons. And so we would go out on these family outings where the kids would ride their bikes and uh, my wife and I would walk our dog. And it, I have never seen more people out walking their dogs in my life than in those first few months of the pandemic. It was like everyone needed to get out of the house and uh, there was free time to do those things. And while maybe there was a few days or a few weeks of like, oh, uh, I can just stay in my pajamas all day and I don't have to go do all these things. And there were some, a few kind of cool things about it. Now I recognize like it wasn't great for everyone, but it didn't take long for, for problems to start arising about what social isolation began to do to people. And we're seeing the effects maybe worse today than we did even two years ago of the mental health challenges adults and teenagers and children are facing. 
because God designed us to live in community. God designed us for fellowship with other people. Isolation is dangerous to our mental health and to our spiritual health. And as Paul is reflecting on what matters most in his final days, he's, he's remembering those he's close to. He's thinking about the people he longs to spend time with. For Paul, it's just not an option. He's in social isolation because he's in prison in Rome. Relationships matter. We need others in our lives. And relationships aren't just important in our final days. They're important every day. And then here's the last thing that I, I think is a great lesson for us to take. Is this very side point, kind of subtle point that Paul makes about what a real family legacy looks like. So he's reflecting on Timothy, this person he longs to see again. He's remembering the tears that Timothy cried when he was arrested. He, 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 he is just thinking about the joy that would be filled in his heart if he could see Timothy one more time before he dies. And then he says this, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Now, we might mistake this for a coincidence, that Paul didn't actually mean anything by this statement. Maybe he's just being like uh, overly sensitive and um, as he's, you know, in his final days and, and just reflecting on things. But, but this isn't the last time Paul will talk about the family legacy of Timothy. We'll get here in a few weeks when we're in chapter three, but Look what he says to Timothy later in, in chapter three of this letter. He says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Now, Timothy learned a lot of things from Paul. He was sort of Paul's protege as Paul was training him up to be a new pastor. But that's not what Paul's thinking about in verse 15 and how from childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which, you, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. When we talk about leaving a legacy, you know, it's good to leave money and property to your children. Even the Bible affirms it. Proverbs 13.22 says, and a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So if you're able, it's great to be able to leave uh, material things to your kids that could be a blessing and a help to them in life. That's great. But the legacy that matters most is a legacy of faith. And that will not happen by accident. Paul talks about this legacy of faith that 
was alive in Timothy's grandmother. It was alive in his mother and they passed it on to him. In chapter three, Paul talks about this legacy that Timothy has inherited because his grandmother and his mother diligently taught the scriptures to him. So what kind of legacy are you leaving? If it's financial, that's cool. That's good. The Bible even affirms that's good. But it's not what matters most. What kind of legacy are you leaving for your children? One of of devout faith, one of trust and knowledge of the scriptures. Now, some of you may be sitting here saying, well, I don't have children, so that part doesn't apply to me. But it's not true. Because as we saw in verse 2, Paul reflects on this great relationship he has with Timothy. And even though he is not his biological child, thinks of him as such. A legacy of faith is not limited to only people you share DNA or blood with. A legacy of real, genuine faith can be left for anybody in your life who you care for and make diligent effort in encouraging and strengthening them in their faith. And so as we continue on in the letter of 2 Timothy, we're gonna see Paul's efforts to leave one final legacy with Timothy, to give him the things he needs to continue on in his journey once Paul is gone. There'll be things that we need to learn, things that just like Timothy, we need to to grow in and continue in because that torch has ultimately been passed on to us to carry. Faithful men and women for 2,000 years have taken what they've learned and passed it on so that you and I are here today. We are here because of the legacy Paul left and the legacy Timothy left, and the legacy millions of men and women before us have left. And so as Paul seeks to leave his legacy, there'll be lessons for us to learn in how we leave a legacy. And so this is the encouragement and the challenge as we we set the foundation for this letter and this study in 2 Timothy about the legacy we're leaving in our lives both to our literal biological children and to everyone else around us. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to, um, to reflect on the legacy that's been left for us. That so many faithful men and women before us have, um, have led the way have left a legacy of of genuine faith and a love for the scriptures. Lord, as we just reflect on what matters most in life, as Paul did as he was coming to his final days, just reflecting on what mattered most, 
Lord, it's so easy for us to get caught up in the, in the rush of life and chasing after things that, that seem important today. But if we only had a few days to live, I'm guessing most of them wouldn't be. So Lord, would you help us to turn our attention to what matters most? I want you to keep your eyes closed for just a minute. We're going to close this morning in a time of response. And here's a couple of ways you can respond and some things I want to encourage you in. One, I want to encourage and challenge you to spend some time just thinking for a moment about what matters most. If you knew your time on earth was short, what would you devote your time to? And the great thing is, is we don't have to wait until the end of our lives to spend our time and attention devoted to those things. We can devote our lives to those things now. So I wanna encourage you to just think about it. Think about what kind of legacy you're leaving and what kind of legacy you want to leave. And then we're gonna give you some opportunities to respond. If you wanna stand and sing, in celebration of the legacy that's been left to you, this legacy of the gospel that countless generations have passed on to you, then join us as we sing and we celebrate that no matter what we face in life, no matter what trials we face through it all, that God is good. That we will keep our eyes on him through all the trials of life. In the back is also our communion table. The bread and the cup are there if you would like to make that a part of your worship response this morning. Lord, thank you for who you are. Would you be honored by the way in which we respond to you? And would you help us to respond in a way that honors and reflects what matters most?